0: you know, you start talking, you know, Michelin, you know, level restaurants and things that that's a totally different world. And, you know, I I spent some time training at the Greenbrier and, you know, I remember when I came out of there, you know, I I was a beast of a cook, but I was also kind of an asshole and I was full (laughs) of shit. And and it, it, it took me a long time to unlearn all of that. It, and, and there's those parts of the industry that it's always going to be kind of reserved for the few and the proud, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's never going to be meant for everybody, but there's the rest of us. We don't live like that. We don't need to live like that. And the idea of, you know, weeding people out being a good thing. I mean, that was, that was just absurd to me, you know, to read that. Like I, I was, I was just astonished yeah. at how obtuse that comment was because, you know, th- this, industry as I put it in the article, we're, we're already ruthlessly efficient at weeding people out. Mm-hmm. We're not very good at attracting and retaining people. I mean, this industry has the highest burnout rate of anything. Yeah. You know, we don't need more of, of pushing people away. I mean, we, we already do too much of that. That's the problem. You know, and as I said, the problem can't be the solution. So that, that's, that's one of the biggest things that just, just has to change, you know, is how do we make this more approachable and, and make it a viable career path? You know, for people that, again, you know, they, they like to cook. They, they want to take it seriously. They want to do a good job, but, you know, they don't necessarily want to be in charge. You know, they have a skill set. They want to be paid fairly for it. And, you know, they, they want to be able to live a decent life, which, you know, I don't see anything wrong with any of that. Right. And that's what we have to figure out how, how we can offer.
1: That's our guest, Chef Jeremy Linen from the Dunwoody Country Club in Atlanta, Georgia. And on this episode, he discusses how the pandemic affected his business. He talks about how the industry is facing a crisis with a lack of skilled workers. And after the break, we'll discuss ways in which we can flip the script and focus on the importance of quality of life for the employees in the food service industry. Stay tuned. This is Chef Life Radio, serving chefs just like you who want to enjoy their careers without sacrificing their lives. I'm your host, Adam Lamb. And over my 30-year career as a chef and hospitality professional, I've coached and mentored thousands of culinarians who've led lives of contribution, community, and authentic leadership. Let me be your guide on this journey together, looking for solutions and perspectives to some of the biggest issues impacting the hospitality industry, our lives, and our careers today. We Chef! And now, back to the show. Chef, thank you so much for joining us today at Chef Life Radio. Tell me, man, how's business? It's a little weird these days, you know, obviously it's been picking up here
0: lately. you know everybody thinks the pandemic is over, but uh, obviously you know it's it's not and it's it's a completely different set of challenges you know for us in the industry kind of trying to come back right now when you know everybody's been kind of stuck at home and waiting to get vaccinated and now you know they have, and everybody wants to come back and think everything's back to normal,
1: but uh we're not quite there yet so why don't you give our listeners kind of an overview of how? COVID actually affected your business.
0: So I think it was right around St. Patrick's day when everything hit the fan, you know, a little over a year ago we got in, I think it was on Tuesday and we're, we're told that we're, you know, shutting down, you know, so we spent a couple hours to just clean up a little bit. The initial thought was this was going to last two weeks and then uh, life was going to be back to normal. And um, obviously it didn't go that way at all. So We ended up, the club was closed entirely for a month. You know, we we didn't operate at all. And then we kind of slowly came back with, I think golf was first. And, you know, then we started a very limited to-go program with, you know, kind of one offering per night. It was pretty much management staff only. And then, you know, a few weeks later, we decided to reopen a la carte. But, of course, there were you know, we had restrictions as far as, you know, number of seats and capacity and, and, and all that. So it it was very kind of staged out and measured, you know, for a while we were doing a la carte as well as a to go offering. And, you know, pretty much through, through the end of the year, we were doing both. And, you know, at at some point we decided that, you know, come January 1st, we weren't got a cat in the picture now here, (laughs) Hello, Um, darling, (laughs) but, uh, you know so we've been we've been a la carte only you know since January and you know it's been kind of up and down with you know staffing and you know and it's not you know just us in the kitchen obviously front of the house is you know having their struggles as well with you know there's nights where you know unfortunately we're having to put a cap on you know number of people that we can serve because you know they've only got four or five servers on the floor and they need you know 10 to be able to run a full service so you know it's been you know every week it's a little bit different you know, we'll have a really good week where, you know, everybody's here and you know nobody needs time off or anything like that. And then, you know, the next week it's a little bit slower because, you know, we just don't have the same number of bodies. And then, you know, spring rolled around, you know, obviously graduation season and, and weddings and all that. You know, I don't know. I can't speak to it quite as much as, as how it is in hotels and the restaurant business. But in clubs, you know, there's about a six week window, you know, between you know, late April, May, and early June, where everybody wants to do everything all at once. Right. So, um, you know, the weather's nice, so weather's nice, so golf is busy, you know, people are having weddings, there's graduation parties, the pool opens, and it's pretty much, you know, all systems go all at the same time, um, which, you know, those few weeks are always some of the most stressful of the year anyway, mm. but then you add, you know, the COVID and, you know, the staffing challenges that we had, and it things things hit a fever pitch for us there, for a minute. So it
1: it was a challenge. And of course, you know, in a club, you've got a clientele that is incredibly vested in their ability to access the facility and make use of Mm -hmm. uh, all the benefits and stuff. So how, you know, have you found that they're accommodating to the restrictions and the fact that, Hey, listen, man, I can't open up a full room. I need 10 staff and I've only got five initially
0: they weren't you know there was a lot of frustration there in the beginning you know and it took us a little bit of time as far as you know getting the messaging out there because you know initially they don't really understand you know one thing why and then they initially some of them you know want to think well why are you guys having this problem and it's like well it's not just us it's everybody right. and you know then once we we were able to start you know, communicating a little bit more and and getting some of the word out, having meetings with you know some of the committees, getting emails going out to the bulk of the membership, you know, and having some one-on-one conversations with people that you know we happen to cross paths with and, and and would ask. Then the tide started to turn, and you know, once we could explain things to people, you know, I, I started telling people at one point, you know, I had had ads up, you know, for various jobs I was offering for a couple of weeks, and at that point, I had had. More jobs posted than interviews scheduled. Yeah. For one, I couldn't get people to respond to to the ads, and even if they did, they wouldn't show up for interviews. I mean, I think one week I had eight interviews scheduled, and one of them showed up. You know, and you just start telling them some of these stories, and and then it's like, okay, you know, it's like, yeah, you guys are trying, and well, of course we are, but that just took a little bit of time, and you know, stopping and having those conversations.
1: And What percentage of your staff do you think you ended up losing over the course of COVID?
0: Uh, You know, to be honest with you, fortunately for me, I didn't really lose too many, you know, with the shutdown. I mean, that that was one thing that I I was really proud of with, with the club was the way they really stepped up and and took care of the staff that they had. You know, when we, we shut down for a month, Mm -hmm. the club paid everybody their, their full wages that they would normally make. So, uh, the club kept everybody whole through that time. And then once, you know, the government got everything together with what they were going to do with, you know, the different bills and and, and this and that, at that point, the club furloughed people knowing that they were going to be taken care of with the unemployment. Mm. Uh, but the club continued to pay their health insurance for them so that they wouldn't lose that. That's pretty righteous. So the, I mean, the club did a great job in terms of taking care of the staff that we had So, I mean, I think all told, I only lost maybe three people. You know, when we started bringing people back, there were, you know, obviously with there being no banquets, that was really the only area that that really hit Mm -hmm. me. So there were a couple people that I just wasn't able to bring back due to not having banquets. So I I run a staff of about 20. So only losing three, that's not so bad. No, not at all. Now, you know, once, you know, we got into things, I mean, there's always the issue of retention. You know, I, I lost a couple people over time you know, trying to rehire at that point, you know, got to be a little bit of a yep. challenge, but, you know, in terms of just, you know, from, from the layoff, um, initially
1: I, I didn't do too bad. And one of the things that I really enjoy was, uh, your articles in club and resort chef magazine and on their website. And it's not a magazine that normally, you know, I would come across in my reading. And fortunately, not only are you a prolific writer, but you post a lot on LinkedIn. So I want to say thanks for that because it's always important to get another person's perspective. So I spent sure. the last couple of years in, uh, in the healthcare segment in a high quality CCRC in Asheville, North Carolina with 650 residents. So I totally get that kind of expectation that the, that the campus might necessarily have, which uh, kind of brings me to some of the questions I had in reading your stuff. If you don't mind me going there. Right. Sure. So, uh, I guess the first article that I wanted to talk about was uh, one titled, How Did We Get Here? And you brought up some really great salient points, but there's a couple lines at the end of the very first paragraph that says, others say the food service industry is about to reinvent itself in this aftermath. That's normally a hopeful outlook, but I don't share it. My gut feeling is that the industry is about to have the proverbial screws put to it again. So can you uh, expand on that a little bit?
0: it's It's interesting I wrote that a little over a year ago when all this first started, and I guess fortunately, I have maybe changed my tune on that right. just a little bit um but you know at the at the time when when I wrote that, my fear at that at that point and you know there there's still a little bit of it is that you know this industry has always been expected to do more mm-hmm. with less. You know, all the time. I mean, it's it's hyper competitive. You know, if you have to cut staff, you know, everybody just has to do more work to deliver on the same expectations. So, you know, given just you know the history of this industry, at least you know in the you know 17 years that I've been doing it, my gut reaction at, at the time was that we were gonna you know have to gut our staffs and still find a way to do everything that we always had to do anyway. I I think. I, I have seen some positive trends um, since then that give me a little bit more optimism, you know, at least for the, the industry as a whole, you know, you get into, you know, clubs versus, you know, the, the rest of
1: it all, you know, they're, they're two very different conversations. Sure. And I, speak to some of the, the expectations that maybe have changed or the uh, outlook that's, that's changed for you.
0: You know, for one thing, you know, the way that we've reacted to, you know, the, the short staffing that we've had, you know, like, like I was talking about here a minute ago with, you know, having to open the pool and, 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 mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I remember we were two weeks away from opening the yep. pool and I, I looked at, you know, the clubhouse manager, who's my superior. And I said, I got to open this pool in two weeks and I have no idea right now how I'm going to do it. Cause at that point, the only person that I had to be able to staff my pool cafe was, you know, one of my lunch cooks who I could afford to lose, but you know, the pool's a six day a week operation and that was the only person that I had. So, you know, fortunately, I, I had a a very brief exchange. I can't even remember how it came up, but on LinkedIn with, you know, certified master chef, Gerald Ford. And he, he made a suggestion about, you know, just put a plan in writing, and give it to your superiors and, you know, to let them know, you know, what the problems are, what potential solutions you have and what you're doing about it. And so I, I did just that and. I didn't expect them to necessarily let me do any of what I suggested. And they said yes to all of it. So instead of you know the pool being open six days a week, we're only open five. Instead of being open for service eight to nine hours, we're only open for six. So, you know, in the interim, right. I have been able to staff it with just one person. So like that was huge. You know, and previously, you know, and it's you know, not a complaint against my club. I think it's just the nature of being a chef is, you know, I could have talked about, you know, the problems or the challenges all day, and it's like, uh, make it happen. You know, that's, that's what you're here for is to figure it out. Sure. So seeing, you know, some of these compromises happen, and and the willingness to respond and, uh, you know, kind of change with, you know, what we're dealing with that has made me kind of change my tune about things, you know, pretty significantly.
1: Do you think that that's, uh, obviously, that's enlightened leadership, man, that would actually like listen and take all the into account you think that's a uh, an expected response industry wide <laughs> you think there's still those folks out there like yeah i don't care how you get it done chef but it's got to happen
0: uh, i mean there's always going to be that you know i i've worked i mean this is the third club that i've been in so i've worked under four different gms at this point and you know they're all different and you know mm. i've seen different mentalities so i mean you're you're always going to have that but i think you know moving forward just with you know the way this industry kind of has been and you know we've known that this was coming for for a while i mean this yep. this isn't as new as people think it is you know we we've heard the train on the tracks for a long time and it's now it's here and so i think the the people that don't necessarily want to hear this stuff they're they're going to have to hear it and they're going to have to figure out how to deal with it whether they
1: like it or not so are you talking specifically about labor shortages or just inability to attract quality applicants or what specifically are you talking about? Well, I mean, I don't think it's it's any big secret. I, I think, you know,
0: I mean, th- this business is tough and, you know, yeah. being, being a cook's hard work and it's not glamorous and it doesn't pay very well. And, you know, I've known far too many people that are are skilled workers. You know, I'm not talking about you know, some high school kids that fold t-shirts at a department store on the weekends Mm. to have a little spending money. I mean, these are skilled professionals that are having to work two jobs just to not live in poverty. And I think people have to face the facts of, you know, why would somebody want to do that? You know, you can talk about passion all you want to, but, you know, I mean, why should somebody want to be passionate to live that way? Right. And and I think that's the crisis this industry has to figure out. and, And that's really what we're up against right now.
1: So another question based on another article you wrote, how we're reacting to the labor shortage madness. Um, but first I have a little comment. And so I'm just asking, you know, is this really madness or is it a kind of inevitable consequence of how like we as an industry have squandered human capital, you know, for a really, really long time? I think you hit the nail
0: on the head. It absolutely is a consequence. I mean, l- like I was saying a minute ago, you know, most chefs have been, talking about this for a while. Like this, this isn't new. We've known it was coming. You know, there was just been too many people
1: that just haven't wanted to deal with it. And so in your experience or your observation, how are most operators dealing with this issue? How are friends of yours and other segments of the industry dealing with this?
0: Um, You know, obviously pay rates are going up, which, which is a good start, but I I think it's going to take a whole lot more than that. You know, there's a lot of conversation that, that I'm hearing is as far as, you know, things that are going to have to happen, you know, some changes, you know, just as far as, you know, schedule demands and, you know, being able to get somebody a Saturday off every once in a while, not because they're going on vacation, but it's just, you know, here, why don't you take, have Saturday off so you can see your family, you know, just quality of life stuff. There's a lot of conversation about that. I don't know how much that's happening. You know, unfortunately, I, I wish I could tell you that that's something that I've been able to start doing. It, right. It's not, um, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I, I think that's kind of one of the key things for this industry is, you know, your kids got a, a, a soccer game on Saturday. You might not be able to make all of them, but you should be able to go once in a while, you know, without having to you know, request a day off and, and burn a vacation day to do it, you know? So a lot of it's, it's, it's those types of things, you know? I mean, obviously, yeah, the, the, the pay rate stuff is huge, but it's the, having to be so detached from your family and your home life all the time that's, that's really the, the silent killer in this industry. I live
1: in Asheville, which is, you know, a beautiful place in the Blue Ridge mountains. Mm -hmm. And it's such that, you know, I I don't know anybody who works two jobs who can afford to live in Asheville. So where do these people come from? As a matter of fact, uh, I spent 25 years in South Florida and Key West got so bad that they were actually sending the city was sending a bus four hours up the overseas highway to the nearest town so people could board a bus to drive four hours to work an eight-hour shift and then go back four more hours because there's just nowhere for these folks to live on what they were getting paid. So cooks, you know, professionals, you know, folks who probably have no more larger aspiration than to do the best job they possibly can to take care of their family without, you know, climbing the company ladder or for any other aspiration other than, you know, to be considered a good person, And I think you made a comment in one of your articles that, you know, if someone's here for a paycheck, that that's probably not said in a uh, in a complimentary fashion. But, you know, I've known some really, really amazing people who, you know, all they wanted to do was just come in, do their shift and go home. They didn't want to get involved in politics. They didn't necessarily want to get involved in anything else. So uh, can you sing some praises about, you know, the folks who just come and do their job and want to leave? Right. You know, my my morning prep ladies and banquets, you know, they're they're both
0: from Mexico. And, you know, they're not necessarily there to set the world on fire. You know, they're not you know, trying to be the next Escoffier or anything like that. You know, but they come in, they do what they're asked to do. They do a really good job. You know, whatever you show them, they're happy to do it. And, you know, ultimately, they want to be able to put food on yeah. the table, take care of their family. And, the, you know, they want to do a good job. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I've just I've been around. A lot of chefs and a lot of people in this business for a long time that, you know, look down on, you know, people like that. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, people talk about, you know, they'll say, oh, God, that guy's a 35 year old saute cook. And it's like, well, you know, so I mean, you know, you know, so what? He doesn't want to be the chef like it's, <laughs> it's not for everybody. <laughs> and, you know, ultimately, if, if the guy's a 35 year old saute cook and he does a good job at it, what's right. what's the problem? The, the industry needs those people too. And, and we've got to quit sitting on them. Right. And it's, it's kind of this whole thing where, you know, we make people live in a meat mm-hmm. grinder for a long time to, you know, prove their value. And then eventually they get paid a decent amount of money. And it's like, well, but again, it goes back to why should somebody right. want to do that? Because people aren't lining up to want to yep. do this for a living. So, you know, we we've got to get out of that mentality because eventually Yo, know, we can't just keep weeding people out. There's not going to be anybody left.
1: Do you think we do a particularly good job at training our people? And I'm not talking about training somebody on saute to the menu. I'm talking about building skill sets once a month when, you know, things might be slow and bringing in a whole swordfish and having everybody going and go up, boning it out, you know, things like that. I mean, how do we actually, how do we grade as far as, you know, you, you know, prior to the eighties, you know, one of the main ways you learned was to become an apprentice. And then all of a sudden that dried up with the advent of, you know, one, hundred be a chef and all the for-profit schools. And it's like, after that, it seems like everybody just went, okay, we don't have to worry about that shit anymore. They got, they're going to, they're going to come to us with all the skills that they need or else. Right. Right. Well, I mean, interestingly enough, I, I
0: listened to, uh, the interview between you and, and Paul Sorgel, <laughs> And, uh, you know, you guys had talked about this. And, you know, I think he, he hit the nail on the head with, you know, just the fact that the, the this industry doesn't invest in its people like it used to. You know, I mean, that was one thing about the Greenbrier with, you know, the apprenticeship there, you know, how much product they were willing to let you screw up yeah. to learn how to do things. I mean, most most operations just can't afford to do that. That's true. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that I rail against in my current operation. I've been there five years. And when I got there, only sous chefs were allowed to cut meat. So of course nobody else knew how to do it. Right. And, you know, it was pretty much one of those things from day one. I said, no, this stops because I am not having this where there's only three of us here in the building that know how to cut fillets or know how to, you know, cut salmon or whatever it is. I mean, it's just silly and. You know, of course, you know, everybody kind of recoiled it like, well, what if they screw it up? It's like, well, right. I mean, you, you screwed it up a few times and that's how you learn. Right. I mean, you know, it's just it's the oh cost of doing business. And, you know, in the long run, you know, somebody screws up, you know, five or six sides of salmon before they start getting a handle yep. on it. Grand scheme of things, it's not that much money. Right. Like it's 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 OK. You know, And it, it kind of goes to one of those memes that I've seen. And I, and I forget where where I saw it at. But it was, you know, it's the CFO and the and the CEO talking to each other. And the CFO says, you know, well, what if we invest in our people and they leave? And the CEO says, well, what if we don't invest in them and they stay? Right. You know, that's kind of the crossroads of that whole thing.
1: How do you think, uh, let's, let's fast forward or project ourselves in the future for a moment and say that, you know, there's a significant enough portion of the industry that's made these changes, who, you know, worked on creating, you know, empowering culture, who've, you know, invested in training programs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like how many generations are we going to lose in the meantime? You know, millennials are the millennials I've worked with who for the most part are really, really hard workers, but they're also very, very cut and dry when it comes to like, this is not really fitting my lifestyle. This is not really working for me. I'll see you later. And boom, they're out the door. Whereas my generation was more like hanging on dear life because it thought like, where the hell are you going to get your uh, next paycheck from? So I, I think somewhere in the middle, there's probably a good balance, but I guess I would ask, what are your hopes for the future for the industry? That That's a a, a tough
0: question to answer because, you know, I, I see, I, I see the industry changing pretty, pretty dramatically and, and, and a lot of it's kind of started already, with just a shift toward casual dining, mm-hmm. which you know on one one hand you know it's it's interesting seeing what people are doing with quick service restaurant concepts and you know how you can take good food and make it quick and easy, and it's fast, and people can be in and out in fifteen minutes, yeah you know dining doesn't have to be a ninety minute affair anymore, which you know again that it's interesting, you know some of the you know possibilities that are there. But it, it, you know, at the same time, you know, coming up, you know, the way I have, and I'm sure the way you did, you know, there's a certain amount of romanticism in me that, you know, really appreciates, you know, the theater of fine dining and, sure. you know, what all goes into it. You know, you know, you watch a, you know, a classical hotline in action. It's almost like a ballet. Like, I mean, there's just, there's something about it. I'm hoping that that doesn't have to go away, but it, as dining gets more and more casual, I, I'm I'm wondering if all that stuff is going to get to be more and more of a niche offering. You know, obviously, with the pandemic, you know, we had to limit human interaction. And we got taught to, you know, you go to a restaurant and you'd scan a QR code and you'd order from your phone. So, I mean, I don't know how that's going to carry over into the next few years. I mean, is that something that's going to stick around just for the sake of efficiency or... Are people going to push back against that and and say you know no you know I, I go out to eat because I want the service and I want the interaction you know I I, I don't know right. but I, I think I, I think the good thing is that at least hopefully there there's a lot of this stuff that you know has put the industry in the, in the position that it's been in where it's gotten so hyper competitive with you know everybody trying to undercut each other and. You know, you can go in somewhere and demand that they do something that they don't really do and, mm-hmm. you know, they'll do it just because they don't want you to leave right. and they'll do it for a dollar less than where you say you usually get it from just because they don't want you to leave and they want you to come back. That has not done the industry any favors. Uh, uh. I mean, we can we consistently devalue our own product and our own skill set like that isn't sustainable. So I I hope that type of thing goes away and and I hope that, you know, restaurants get to be, you know, more efficient and I'm hoping that, you know, some of the the understanding that consumers have had, you know, due to what we've dealt with here lately, I'm hoping some of that sticks around Mm. so that, you know, we're not constantly kind of backed into that corner that that we are a lot of times. So I think those are a couple of the biggest things that I would say.
1: So you wrote an article called, uh, take charge of your career, which I thought was really interesting. You've got like six lessons, but it almost seems like they're principles for anybody who wants to, uh, to have a more fulfilling career. And one really spoke to me and I was curious to know if you would expand on this idea of servant leadership, you know, I think for the culinary world, that's something that's a little, little different than what most people are used to. You know, they, there's all the memes about, you know, the screaming chef and all that kind of stuff. So how do you embody servant leadership of your organization?
0: Well, I I really try to avoid you know that whole top-down approach of, of a traditional chef where, you know, the chef writes all the menus and the and the chef you know has the final answer on everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I really want it to be a lot more collaborative than that. You know, so you know, I have sous chefs, you know, in each area. I've got you know, my chef de cuisine in the restaurant, I've got you know, two sous chefs that share banquets, and I, I really try to work with them on, you know, what we're doing in those areas. And and I, and I want their input and I, I I want them thinking about, you know, you know, ideas that they have ways that we can do things better. I don't want to just be giving them directives all the Mm -hmm. time. You know, I I want to hear from them and yeah, I really want that to be their area that I'm kind of help coaching them to run versus, you know, they're working for me and, I'm just telling them what to do. I mean, that's really the last thing that that I want. And so, you know, really when it comes to the day to day in those areas, you know, I I want them to, you know, really feel like they own it and they're in control of it. And, you know, if there's something that I can do to step in and help them, you know, could be to dice an onion, it could be (laughs) to clean some fish. I mean, you know, whatever it is, I'm I'm happy to step in and 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 help them to do it and, and make sure that they're successful because, you know, at the end of the day, when you're in a leadership position. Your success is going to be defined by the success of your subordinates. So, you know, I'm there to make sure that they're successful and that they look good because, you know, if that happens, I'm going to look fine versus, you know, rather than, you know, me standing on top of them and and, and micromanaging and and giving directives on every little thing. Especially if it's somebody that wants my job, Mm -hmm. eventually, that's not really a good way for them to ever learn how to do it.
1: Right. And so you're coaching them are you coaching them in what it looks like for servant leadership so that they're actually going into their areas and maybe, um, being collaborative with the hourly associates that are in those areas?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's one of those things where, you know, there's always a certain amount of autonomy with, with mm-hmm. each person that that is learned or earned rather, you know, obviously, you know, if we're cooking a piece of fish or, or whatever it may be, obviously, you know, this is a result that we need to, right. to have, but as far as, the process and how we get there, you know, let's work together on what the best way is to do that. Because, you know, I I could tell you what, how I would do it, but you know, if if you're the guy that's got to work that station every day, I need you confident in in how you're going to do it. So if there's a way that we can you know compromise and and work together on, on how we get there, you know, I get the end result that I need to have and and you're confident and comfortable with how you're doing it. We all win with that. So
1: that's awesome, man. I Man, it's how I try to go about it. And so if you were going to give uh, one or two tips, maybe that you've learned through COVID to anyone listening on how to build a better brigade, how to build, manage, what were those two things that has most served you? Probably one of the,
0: the biggest things is, you know, just being patient. You know, this whole thing's been a process. You know, there's been days that haven't necessarily gone the way we want them to. So you, you have to, just kind of keep things in perspective and not get too worked up over, you know, one day, not necessarily, you know, going exactly according to plan. Tomorrow's a new day. We get to start over. You know, don't get too high or too low on stuff. And, you know, one thing that you know, I always keep in the in the back of my head is just the concept of nonlinear progression. You know, things don't always move up and to the right in a straight line. You know, today, like like I said, today may not go the way we want but we can, we can get back to work tomorrow. We can get this going the way we need it to. So just be patient, you know, and, and let things play out. you know, give it some time. And then, you know, the other thing is don't get too worked up on the small stuff. You know, if we miss one little thing, Hey, we miss one little thing. That's it. Let's just keep moving forward. I mean, in, in a nutshell, those are kind of the the two biggest things that
1: have kind of helped me maintain sanity, you know, through it all. That's awesome, chef. That's uh great wisdom. Uh and, especially in a commercial food service environment, things we, at least in my experience, forget pretty quickly. So appreciate you putting that out there. And if you got some time, man, I'd like to invite you out to the back dock. And for those listeners of the podcast, we make sure that we get a little snippet, about 15 minutes of conversation that really kind of goes to the heart of who people are. Thanks for being here, Chef. We really appreciate everything you brought. And, uh, you know, keep writing because you got a lot of wisdom and there's a lot of people who could benefit from that. So thank you. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Chef Life Radio. If you enjoyed it, it made you think, laugh, or get pissed off, then please tell a friend. Get your free copy of Three Ideas for Less Chef Stress by signing up for our monthly newsletter at chefliferadio.com forward slash sign up. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard. It just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck it up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island. We believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more community and a lot less fuck you. Finally, consider for a second, for all the blood, sweat, and sometimes even tears we put into what we do, really, at the end of the day, that's just some brown stuff on a plate. None of it really matters. It doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than, anyone else. It's just a dance we're engaged in, so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it, even the crappy parts, while we're doing it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it? Like it, happy, I love it. I love it. I am humble. The goddamn glory box, I don't live on now. Follow us at Facebook.com, Chef Life Radio, Twitter, at Chef Life Radio, on Instagram, at Chef Life Radio, and check out our website, chefliferadio.com
0: oh yes chef
1: stand tall and frosty brothers and sisters until next time be well and do good leave the light on honey i'm coming home late this show was produced recorded and edited by me adam lamb at the dish pit studios in bardo north carolina this has been a production of realignment media